Amen. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and turn again to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to look at one verse, verse 28. Verse 28 of the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians. How blessed we are as a people. How, how incredibly blessed we are. You think about all the work that God has done in our lives and the blessing that he has brought us, and you and I, would, we would just have to respond to him with gratitude in our hearts because he has blessed us in such a tremendous way. And the greatest blessing that you and I can have is God himself. It is Jesus Christ, right? He is the greatest gift to us. Jesus came to die for us, and the Bible tells us, Ephesians chapter 2 in particular, it told us that it is by his grace that we were saved. In other words, there's nothing that we could have done to merit salvation. We could have never accomplished it or achieved it on our own. We tried, perhaps. We, we did everything we could. We tried to be good enough. We tried to be religious enough, and we recognize through all of those feeble efforts, there's nothing we can do. Only God could bring salvation to us. And Jesus Christ came to die for us, to be resurrected, so that you and I could have life. He is the greatest gift that God could have ever given, and God gave us his best. God himself is a giver, and he is the one who has communicated to us such life. But get this. Jesus gives us salvation, but Christ is a gift that keeps on giving. In other words, we have salvation, but through our salvation, we continue to experience life daily. In other words, I was saved years ago, Birmingham Ridge Baptist Church. The preacher was standing there. He was spitting and doing all his kind of stuff that he does. And I heard the message of Christ. I saw again that night a baptism and reminded me of the death, burial, and resurrection. As I saw the immersion, it reminded me of what Jesus did. And through that week, God worked in my life, and he brought me to salvation. Now, I was saved then, but that salvation has had an impact on me. When I say that Christ is a gift that keeps giving, that means that every day of my life since has been informed by his lordship, by, by Jesus himself. Now, it doesn't mean I've surrendered to him like I should. But every day, Christ has been a part of my life. Whether I acknowledged him or whether I didn't, Christ was always there and has always been there. And when Christ comes in and he saves us, he calls us to a new life. I, I want you to see today, we're going to focus on verse 28, but it is in the context because there has to be context, right? Because any text without context is just simply pretext. Wouldn't you agree? So I'm going to look at just one verse, but it is in the context of, hey, Jesus saved you. He is your greatest gift. He has worked in your life. And because of that, he has given you a new, he has given you a new characteristic. He has given you a new nature. In verses 17 through 24, for example, of this chapter, he says, you are different. I saved you. And you are a new person because of what I've done in your heart and life. Listen, Jesus saves you and he brings you into a new nature, a new characteristic. In other words, he saved you to do something else with you. He has a purpose and a plan for you. He has a practice for you each day as we talked about last week. 
And then verse 25, it tells us that we are to be honest. So I love the way Paul does this. Paul says, you're saved. Christ is your greatest gift. Then he says, it has practical implications upon your life. In other words, you have a new nature. You're going to live differently because now Christ has done something. And you're practiced because faith, listen, faith is always practical. It should be lived out in your life. So he says, you're a new person. So how does he do it? Well, in verse 25, he says, you're going to be honest. You want to talk about how you're going to live it out in your life? If Christ has been been who he said he was and he has changed you, then that means you're going to be a person of integrity. You're going to tell the truth. In verse 26, he says, Christ is going to affect your temperament. He's going to affect who you are in your anger. Some of you got anger issues. Anybody want to admit? No, there's some pointing to husbands. I see that. He says, you're going to allow... Christ to inform your temperament, your attitude. You're not going to be angry. You're not going to allow the sun to set on your anger, he says. He says, you're not going to give the devil a place. And then with that context in mind, he gets to verse 28, and he gives us this practical statement. He says, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Verse 28, that one verse, he gives us this practical principle. He says, those of you who stole, still no longer. So you see this? You see this defining moment in the church's life, the defining moment in the Christian's life. So there were several here who obviously had stolen in order to produce their livelihood. There were several in the church. Get this, again, We all have a background, don't we? Oh, yeah. Somebody was talking to me this week, and they were talking about, like, um, all the skeletons that they had in the family. You know, usually you talk about skeletons in the closet, right? They said, most of mine are in the living room because they wouldn't fit in the closet. We had to move them out, put them into the living room. Most people can probably see them. A lot of that stuff. Hey, All of us have baggage. Every individual in this place has baggage. Every individual in this place had a background. Every individual was lost without Christ. Christ is the one who makes a difference. So here, this is a a definite break that Paul is calling these individuals to have. He said, there are some of you who stole. There are some of you who took things. Now, the word for steal here is the word like klepto. And you've heard that in English, right? Like a kleptomaniac. Like somebody who just is compulsively picking up things, right? Or taking things, right? Some of you, like, how many Baptist hymnals you got at home, huh? (laughs) Robin, you in the gathering? This is conviction for you, all right? He says, those of you who have taken things, You have stolen things. He said, you are to steal no no more. Remember what we talked about last week for those of you who are here. It's like Jesus saves you, but he saves you to change you, right? When he looked at the adulterous woman, he said, those who condemn you, they're they're not standing here any longer, are they? She said, no, they're, they're not around anymore, Jesus. And she said, 
And Jesus said, no, they're not here. They're not here to condemn you. I'm not condemning you, but listen to me. You go and you sin no more. In other words, I've made a difference. I have freed you. I've given you a gift so that you can live every day in the reality of that gift. So Paul says, you've been changed. You're not to be stealing anymore. Rather, you are to labor with your hands. You're not to steal anymore. You and I need to be people who are different, who think differently. You and I should not be taking things from other people. It, it may be, hey folks, students, it, it, it may be taking money off of your parents' dresser and not telling them about it. That's not right. It may be some of us who are in business, who see the business doing really well and and thinking that we are owed something extra and we take just a little bit off of the top because it seems like we deserve that. Folks, that is not right. It may be that we underreport our income to the IRS. It may be a host of things. I want to tell you again today that you and I as believers, we ought to be different from the world and its practices. And when we think about finances and all of we should be people who are demonstrating integrity let him who stole still no longer he says and then he gives God's divine plan for provision in a person's life he says rather let him labor working with his hands what is good he says let him work Work is God's divine plan of provision. We are to work as God calls us to. We are to work. Now, it says here, with our hands. So, I'm applying that to my life because I talk with my hands, all right? There's, there's labor in what I'm doing this morning, okay? So, it could be manual labor. It could be mental labor, whatever kind of labor. He says, Let, let's work with our hands that which is good. In other words, the job I have should be something that is edifying to him. Now, I'm going to talk more about work in a few weeks. I'm going to focus more upon it. I just want to look at this one aspect today. The, first of all, just the idea of work itself and, and how God calls us to work. Those of you who've heard me from some time, some years, even our staff recently, they heard me talk about my dad. And I'm not going to talk too much about it this morning because many of you have heard me talk about him. But, I mean, he was one who instilled the work ethic in me. When I saw my dad in the evenings come in and I knew that he had put in an honest day's labor for an honest day's wage, it spoke to me. And I think I've told many of you before that when I grew up in my household, the, the verses that we learned, the verses were not John 3.16. Now, eventually I got those at church. But those were not the verses, or that verse was not the one I heard from my dad. I didn't hear Psalm 23. I, I didn't hear Romans 8, 28. Didn't hear those classics. You know what I heard? If any man will not work, he shall not eat. <laughs> Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. If anyone does not provide for his family, he is denied the faith, and he is worse than an infidel. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. Those two verses I heard all the time. Work existed even in the beginning. Yes, it did. Even with Adam, before the fall. See, so many people say, oh, it was after the fall. It was, 
you know, the work was there. Well, the work was harder after the fall. There is no doubt. But work existed before the fall. Some of you think, oh, if I could just not have to work anymore. You know, that's great. But you would still be lacking in your purpose. You would still be lacking in who you are. I mean, God has called us to work. In our lives, we go through seasons where I think we begin to recognize there's a greater purpose behind work. Uh, when we first start, maybe work is for us just getting enough to get paid. You know, it's a job to work, and we are to get paid. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not, nothing wrong with getting paid, right? Especially the preachers. Nothing wrong with nothing. There's nothing wrong. Again, that is God's design. God's plan is that we work, we get paid, and God takes care of our needs. Often he takes care through this ordinary method of work. That's the way God takes care of us. He provides for us. But as you grow, hopefully you get to see that work is, work is more than just getting a paycheck. Work is getting, it's got to be. Do you know how much time of your life you spend at work? Some of you say, oh, I'm retired. Oh, whatever. <laughs> Do you really retire these days? No. There's always something going on. Somebody again said that they said, I don't know how I had time to work when I did. I mean, I don't know. There's got to be a greater purpose, a greater plan for your work, for you to stay engaged, for you to be the person God wants you to be. There's got to be a greater, a greater sense, a greater view of what work is. Again, we're going to talk more about some of those views in the coming weeks, but Specifically this morning, I want you to see that it says that one of the reasons, one of the higher views of work for us is that we would work, yes, to, to labor and to, to take care of our own needs, but also notice this, that he may have something to give him who has need. That word, that, translates this little... Um, conjunction or so in the original language that speaks of purpose and result. Dale, I can hear Dr. Bain right now in my ears, my old Greek professor from Blue Mountain College saying, Reggie, you know that clause is a clause that speaks of purpose or result. And I would get it right on test, hopefully every time, because once you learn that little conjunction and what that means, it means that all these other things are done so that for the purpose of, for the result of doing something else. For example, in this case, you work something that is good, a job that is pleasing to the Lord, so that in order that result of, you can help other people. That is a greater view of work to me than just simply seeing my own needs met. I'm grateful that God meets my own needs, but oh, how grateful I am when God allows me to meet others' needs through what he blesses me with. It's, it's amazing what God does as he speaks to us, as he works in our lives, so that we can help others in need. Now, I think we do that personally. Again, you've heard me recently say 
that when you talk about the church helping people, helping people who have need, you need to always remember you are the church. I, I don't wait for a benevolence committee to meet before I decide to help somebody else. I, I don't think that it's my responsibility to look at the church calendar and say, hey, oh yeah, that's that week we'll actually help people in the community and we'll have this special need here met. That's not what I'm supposed to do. I am the church. When I walk out of this building, I am the church, the living church, and I am called to help those that have needs. And you and I are the church. Now, now, that doesn't mean that the church collectively shouldn't help people. Yes, we should. I went back and looked at some of the blessings that God has given us and some of the ways in which we help people. First of all, I, I wish you realized how many people come in and out of this church each and every week who are needing help. Every week. There are people who walk into the office. And of course, we're trying to be as best we can, the best stewards, use wisdom. How can we do this? How can we help? But people, people come in all the time that need assistance. And we try to do that. We do that because you give faithfully to the budget of this church. I want you to hear that. Because you are giving like you are, we try to help people as much as possible. Now, I know there are so many things of how we help and all of this, but there was a great theologian one time, great musician. He's my OBGYN, Dr. McWhorter. <laughs> he told me some years ago, he said, Reggie, he said, and he didn't know I was going to quote him this morning, maybe embarrassed, but he said, Reggie, I don't think we'll actually stand before the Lord one day and the Lord look at us and say, you help too much. I've never forgotten that. If I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of compassion and helping. There are other eight ways because you give like you do. We support the CCA, which does minister in this community. We help Roland Hills, which Roland Hills does a lot to help with poverty in this community. Also, the backpack program that some of you may not be aware of, that every Thursday we help provide uh, food for children in Lincoln Parish. Listen, we do, a, we do a lot. I'm not saying we can't do more. We can always do more. But I'm just telling you that one of the reasons God blesses us is so that we can bless others. In our personal life and in our church's life. Collectively, individ individually. If God has given to us, if he has given... Listen, the reason I have a job is because of his grace. The reason you have the resources you do and the jobs that you do, because of His grace. Because you have the mental capacity, the physical capacity, whatever else you want to call it, it is because God looked at you and He delighted in you and He smiled upon you and He gave you His favor so that you could work like you do, so that you not only have your needs, but you can help others who are in need. You and I would be nothing without Him. He is our gift. He, not just the resources, He is our gift. And He works in our lives. And here Paul is saying to the Ephesians, saying to those other churches that will read this letter, don't steal anymore, work. But work, not just to provide for your own need, but to have something to give to Him who has need. Now, needs are not just local. 
Needs are worldwide. I began with this idea of how much we help locally because there are some people that say, well, before we do anything like with compassion or so, we need to help our own folks. This is what I tell people like when we go on missions. Like sometimes they'll say, well, we're going to missions in South Asia or East Asia when we have so much mission here. First of all, let's say for South Asia, we send two people. East Asia, maybe we send four people. On any given Sunday here at Temple Baptist Church, we'll average somewhere about 1,100, right? We'll, we'll have, I don't know, right today, we'll probably have 1,200, 1,300. Come um, uh, a couple of weeks or three weeks from now, uh, I don't know, sports will be going on, the fish will be biting, whatever else, we'll have 900, all right? But let's say 1,100. That's just kind of like what we would have. Let's say we send four over to South Asia, East Asia. Four, okay? Four people. Four. You don't think that leaves enough to get the job done here in Ruston? Because last time I checked, you and I are missionaries every day. So let me say this about giving and helping poverty in other areas. It doesn't mean that it's an either-or proposition. We are helping here, and we're going to continue to help here. But also we want to turn our minds and our eyes toward the global efforts that are being made. See, this is biblical to me because, again, here's Paul. And remember, when Paul writes the book of Ephesians, he's in Rome. He's under house arrest. And some of the reasons he's gone on the missionary journeys that he went on was to raise funds for the Christians, for the believers in Jerusalem that needed help. So he would go into the churches of Galatia. He would write to the church at Rome, and he would say, Hey, there's a need. It's in Jerusalem. I know it's not in your local area, but it's in Jerusalem. It, those would be your brothers and sisters in Christ that are there. They're going through a time of famine and poverty. You ought to help. See, Paul's vision was for the local help, but also for the global help. Oh, I'm proud the church at Antioch never said, well, why don't we just take care of things here and not worry about the rest of the world? I'm not sure that would have turned out well for you and I. God calls us to help those who are in need. We help those locally. We help those globally. It's not either or. One of the reasons that we have had the weekend that we've had with a compassion experience is because we see this as a strategic opportunity to be able to help and push back poverty, help those who are in need, and also declare the name of Jesus in other areas. Some of you know, uh, back in July, I went on a compassion trip. I was invited by Dr. Steve Horn, who was a pastor down at First Lafayette, who is now the executive director of the Louisiana Baptist Convention. Dr. Horn's been here several times, and Steve called me and said, Reggie, would you go with me? And then when I found out he was going to become the director of our LBC, I said, Steve, you still going? He said, oh, yeah, I'm still going. I said, I'm telling you, bro, if you don't go, I'm not going I don't have the best attitude about some of this stuff. 
Is it bad that I just admitted that to you? And anyway, Steve said, yeah, come on, Reggie, let's, you know, you can go, I'm going to go, it's going to be good. So we went down and we went to three different projects. That's what they call each compassion, uh, each compassion ministry at the church. And, and we went through those uh, to see what God was doing. They wanted us to see how God was working. One of the things that I really love about this ministry is that compassion ministry does focus on releasing children from poverty, but they do it, they say they do it in Jesus' name. Because it's one thing to just meet somebody's physical need. It's another thing to meet their physical needs so that you can also meet their spiritual need. Right? I don't want to feed individuals and never let them know that their ultimate hope is in Jesus. I don't want to just minister to them physically because there are some other issues that are out there that are much greater than the physical need. There's a spiritual poverty. So we looked at that, and, and it is also church-focused. In other words, it's child-focused. It, it, they're, they're working on the children, but also in each church, the church uses this project as a ministry to that community so they can reach out. In other words, they bring the children in. In this case, that some of the ones that we're supporting right now, maybe four to six years old, they bring them in, they, give them, they feed them, they give them some education, they, they teach them spiritual lessons, and they use that as a ministry tool of the church itself. And we walked in, and one of the churches that First Baptist Lafayette had, had helped uh, with the Compassion Project, they, they would say, hey, look and you know, open up any of the files that you want to open up on any of the children. Go into our stuff and look and note how we are trying to be transparent with you all. And there is great transparency. I, I'll be honest, I'm one of those that now can be very suspicious about different groups. And is the money really getting there? Is the money really helping people? They let us go in and look at those different files of how that ministry was being taken care of. We went in and we met with several of the different families in the afternoons. We sat in their little, um, well, ten huts, if you will, and we talked to them about how those children were being ministered to. The credibility that I felt there was, was something that really astounded me. This week, I'd written a little article in the Tidings, Three of you read it <laughs> about my experience and how you know I was trusting this organization and I got an email from the esteemed what was he professor of aggravation at Louisiana Tech his name was Ron White something like that <laughs> some of you may not know him it's okay you don't really need to but uh, he emailed me from North Carolina and said hey have you checked out their ratings on like those websites, the Christian websites that tell us whether or not they're using their money appropriately. I said, I had not. He said, well, look, this is good stuff. They're getting a great rating. You need to let the church know that. I said, thanks, Ron. Make sure that I'll let the church know that or so. Because it is important that what we got, we, listen, I understand 
that I only have so much time in the world and I only have so much money in the world. So I want to be a good steward of my time and my money. I, I, I need to make sure that what I'm supporting is something that I am, have full confidence in. And for me and Leslie, some years ago, we adopted a compassion child. Uh, her name is Sarah, or Sarah, or as Mississippi would say, Sarah. And we, we would keep up with her and all. But again, we were kind of like, dude, is this? And God has confirmed in my heart that this is a good strategic opportunity for us. And let me tell you what we've done. We at Temple Baptist Church, we have committed. Our deacons know about this. We've talked about it. We've worked through it. We committed to saying, hey, we want to see a new project started. Where are we going to go? Nicaragua. Why? Because Nicaragua has had a special place in our hearts at Temple Baptist Church. That's where we have been. It's where we want to continue to go in short-term mission opportunities. And what we're doing is we are starting a brand new project in Nicaragua. Brand new. It's, well, let me give you the English. Damascus Baptist Church. Do you believe it is a Baptist church in Nicaragua? And we are, we are partnering with Damascus Baptist Church to see 160 children taken care of through their local ministry there. I, God's already given us the funds so that we could get the project started. But one of the reasons that we had this compassion experience is if you get an opportunity to sponsor a child, Leslie and I already sponsor one, we're going to sponsor another one that we want to have Temple Baptist Church as much as possible buy into this area and say, hey, we want to sponsor these children. And you know, in the years and months to come, we hope to be able to take short-term trips down there so that we can see what's going on with that church and see what's going on through Compassion Ministry to be able to support and help. It's just one practical way. Some of you say, why are you pushing this? I, I just say... I, every now and then, I need somebody to say, hey, show me how I can help. I want to help sometimes. I just like, just help. Just show me. And God gives us the opportunity, and he shows us so often. Hey, one of the things I noticed about this is in Acts 20, 35, Paul was saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders. Remember that? I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful narrative. You ought to read it sometimes. The, old, the, the preacher is leaving them for good. He had been with them some three years. And it is a moving, it is a moving statement that he makes to them. But at the end, in chapter 20, verse 35, he says to them this. He says, you know, Jesus gave us a beatitude. Or remember, a beatitude is like that which is blessed. And usually we think of the Beatitudes of being Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 or so. But he says, Jesus gave us another one. Remember, remember that Beatitude? Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The word blessed means happy, means joyful, means contentment. He said, you will find more joy in giving any day than in receiving. Hey, those of you who've been on those short-term trips, just, let's just use that as an example. Those of you who've been on those short-term trips, do you not receive sometimes more blessing than you think the people do? I've been down there so many different times on medical trips and construction and all that and, you know, doing it all, and I'm just like, man, this... 
I, I know hopefully we have helped these. But what a blessing this has been. What a joy. And you and I, as we give, you and I, as we help those who are in need, we're helping those in need here. Let's help those in need. Our brothers and sisters in Christ who need us, the resources that God has given us to minister and to help in these different areas. We're going to have an invitation in a moment. Maybe it's just a renewed commitment for you to say, God, open my eyes. Those around me, let me help. Those globally, let me help. After the invitation, or I don't care if you go during the invitation. Some of you want to leave early. That's cool. Maybe you just want to step back in the foyer or there in the gathering and say, hey, there's, there's some children would like to sponsor one or two. Now, these are young ones, four to six years old, four to six years old, because it's a brand new. First Baptist Lafayette, some of the older people down there, when they came out and they sponsored kids, they said, four to six years old, how long have I got to sign up for this? Steve said, well, you know, until they're really 18, said, I'm not going to be here by that time. And uh, Steve told him, said, hey, you just sponsor them, and we'll take care of all the other things. It, whatever the Lord calls you, it, the Lord will always provide. The Lord will always take care. Hey, let him who's, who's still, still no longer, but let him work. Let him work the labor of his hands, that which is good so that he might have what is necessary to help those who are in need. Oh, how God has blessed us. And really how he's blessed us as a church to help so many. But there are always more and more things that we can do to reach people and to minister to people in Jesus' name. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the moments of just looking at your word this morning. Thank you for the practical application of your word. Thank you that um, you have provided for us so that we can help, we can encourage. Thank you for allowing us to enter into this partnership with compassion. And Father, I pray that you would encourage and bless us as we seek to do your will. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?